0: Please listen carefully.
1: Welcome to Autism in the Wild. The show that talks about what it's really like living with autism. Here are your hosts, No and Chris.
0: All right, welcome to another episode of Autism in the Wild. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Noah. And today we have a couple guests from University of Iowa, Taylor and Natalie. Welcome to the show.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much for having us, guys. We're both really excited to be here. Um, My name's Taylor, and I thought I'd give you a little bit of background about myself real quick. So initially, I was going to school for wildlife rehabilitation, which is a veterinarian for wild animals of sorts. But that all changed for me when my sister was diagnosed with autism as a young adult. As we immersed ourselves in the autism community, I've come to learn very quickly that she is not the only individual who fell through the cracks in the current medical and educational systems, so to speak. So this motivated me to make some really big changes. And from that, I graduated in May with degrees in both biology and psychology. And I have aspirations of earning a doctoral degree moving forward, and conducting research that produces some really positive change for families who live with neurodevelopmental conditions such as autism.
3: Yeah, great. And uh, my name is Natalie. I have a pretty similar story. I graduated last year from the University of Notre Dame. My major was in neuroscience. Um, I took a long way to find my path there, but I became really interested in clinical psychology as a field. And realized by the time I graduated that I didn't really have a lot of experience doing clinical kind of research. And so I found this position here and I've been at the University of Iowa for about one and a half years now where Taylor and I are both uh, clinical research assistants in Jake Michelson's lab where we coordinate the Iowa portion of a nationwide study of autism genetics called SPARK. As part of this, we are the ones who help to enroll families in this study and support through their participation, um, as well as we connect families with resources available to them through Spark, which is kind of great.
0: That's great. Thank, yeah, thanks for the background on that. Um, I was reading your bios uh, leading up to this, and I I, I didn't realize until I read your bio, Taylor, that you had a sibling, a sister with autism. That I do. Is she older or younger?
2: She is two years younger than me. Uh, and it's really funny because our dynamic almost she's always acted as the older sister <laughs> but yeah she's she's two years younger than me so
0: that's great and how old was she when she had the diagnosis
2: it was her last year of high school so about 18 mm-hmm. years old
0: wow that's that's pretty late to get a diagnosis really
2: yes that it was yeah
0: did your family kind of we, well, maybe what was the process in that? Because did they try for a long time to get a diagnosis or was it just something just kind of decided, well, maybe we should look into the something a little bit more? Or How did that process go for, for your sister?
2: I mean, I remember throughout our childhood, our family faced a lot of challenges trying to um, find the support that she needed to thrive, particularly in school. She struggled a lot. But at the time, it was really an impossible task of sorts because granted, yeah, she was diagnosed. So we didn't even fully understand what her needs were to begin with, let alone how to support them. But she did have some services. She has a similar condition called auditory processing disorder. So she received services for those, but not for her autism. Um, So, I mean, really it wasn't until her diagnosis came uh, as a young adult that she had access to the, the resources and the supports that she really needed to thrive. And um, I mean, personally, in the past few years alone, the amount of growth I've seen in her has really been immeasurable, remarkable. (laughs) Um, She not only knows what her greatest limitations are, but she knows how to rise to meet them, which she now does each and every day. I mean, she works all but full-time She in a bakery. She makes cookies and cheesecakes and all sorts of wonderful treats. But more importantly, she also knows what her uh what her personal strengths are and she embodies, embodies those daily as well
0: yeah that's really cool <laughs>
2: it,
0: it's amazing like it, it for anyone who struggles to get if they can get some supports they need <clears throat> how much help that can that can truly be yeah. to that person
2: yeah, absolutely it's um a night and day situation almost really
0: yeah yeah and, and my wife and i we early on we we really were seeking out a some kind of diagnosis, so we could get the services that our kids could get because of the diagnosis. But I know there are other families that they shy away from. They don't want their kid labeled. They don't want to go through that. And it, it's almost I, I, it's almost a disservice to the to the kid if if, if by getting the whatever label or diagnosis could help them. I think that's always better than the label itself because the label is just the label you know you're still your kid You're still your son or your sibling that doesn't change
2: you know I um as someone who has watched the situation for literally as long as I can remember I wholeheartedly agree like I can fully appreciate the significance of not having the resources available to you to use to care for for your loved one and yeah we like I said it's just night and day difference really
1: yeah,
0: that's, that's great to hear.
1: So kind of the big question here, you mentioned something called Spark when you were talking about, well, introducing yourselves. What it can you go into further detail of what that is exactly?
3: Absolutely. So Spark is actually going to be the largest study of autism ever. So it's happening across the United States right now. And there are about 20 or 25 sites, um, just like the University of Iowa, where researchers are working to let families know about the study and help them enroll. Basically, the goal is to learn more about the biology of autism and how we understand that in in the context of genetics and behavior and how how family structures work together. And so as part of that, uh, the goal is to be very convenient and accessible to families. So There's an online registration portion. Families collect a saliva sample for the genetic analysis. And then after completing the participation bit, they are part of this community, really. Um, Spark aims to provide a lot of resources for the people in that community. So all of the science that comes out of Spark, everything that's published, as well as just like helpful monthly webinars, all of that is available to families. So it's a pretty, pretty innovative and, and uh, very thorough program.
0: Where, where did this study uh, program evolve from?
3: Sure. Um,
2: so we are funded through the Simons Foundation, which is a nonprofit in New York. They fund a lot of, the majority of private autism research. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they collaborated closely with Her name is Dr. Wendy Chung at Columbia University to pilot Spark, and it's only grown from there.
0: Yeah, and how long has this program been going on nationwide and then also in in your lab?
3: Absolutely, so it started with the pilot in December of 2015. And there were just a, a few, just a handful of sites at that point, but it started growing in spring of 2016 then. And our lab at the University of Iowa came on board just last spring, so April 2017, okay. just about when I joined the lab, so.
0: Okay. Yeah, before you reached out to us, uh, I had I think I had heard of the program before but I didn't really know much about it until I dug in a little bit preparing for this episode. So yeah.
3: that seems to be the the pattern. People think like, Oh, I might've seen that uh, floating around on Facebook or something. And we get that a lot just because it is an online based study. It's easy to say, Hey, go here. If you want to register, click on this link.
1: What exactly you're are you looking for in terms of like participants that are involved in this study?
2: That's a fantastic question. Um, so SPARC is open to anyone who lives in the United States as long as they are um, themselves diagnosed with autism or are the immediate family member of an individual diagnosed with autism. Really, that is the only requirements. Um, <laughs> we want to look at as many different types of people people as possible, excuse me, uh, we want to look at different races, ethnicities, um, people with different religious backgrounds, um, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational attainment, things of that nature, see if any patterns emerge regardless of all of these things. So like Natalie mentioned, you know, we're looking at patterns that emerge across these 50,000 families. We want to tie that in part words. What am I trying to say? No idea. <laughs> I guess. So let me rephrase. So across these 50,000 families, we're trying to see what themes emerge, and um, particularly if certain developmental traits, biological traits are associated with um, certain things that families report, regardless of things like socioeconomic status and things of that nature.
3: Importantly, too, in terms of the individuals with autism, we are Accepting and inviting actively everyone from like every level of the spectrum and all ages as well. So we've had folks participate as young as you know the earliest they can make a diagnosis, eighteen months or a little earlier, um, up to folks who are like seventy-two and on the mm-hmm. spectrum, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. So a family like ours, we're a family of five, we we could all participate. In this program sounds like.
3: Yep, absolutely.
0: Okay. (laughs) So what would be the process for us to to do something like that?
3: Yeah, great question. So like I mentioned earlier, we do try to be pretty convenient for families because we recognize, especially if we are just here in the University of Iowa and trying to reach all across the state. It can be difficult to get somewhere in person to sign up for this study, so it can actually be done entirely from home. There's an online registration process at uh, www.sparkforautism.org/UIowa, and there you just answer some basic background questions about yourself um, and who in the family is going to be participating. Um, some information about the people with autism's diagnoses. And then at the end of that, you'd put in your mailing address and then each registered family member would get a saliva sample kit sent to them in the mail. Uh, They're basically fancy little tubes to spit in. They have little sponges as well that you can use to soak up spit and squeeze it in the tube um, or you can just straight up spit. (laughs) Definitely not fancy, but uh, it gets the job done. We're able to use those saliva samples to look at each person's DNA. Those are also able to be sent back through the mail. There's absolutely no cost to families, um, so everything is paid for by Spark. And then at the end, you would get a, a up to $50 on an Amazon gift card for participating as well. Okay. Yeah.
0: So not only, so the advantages for the family really are really trying to be part of a, a, a bigger group to try to find some kind of patterns in the DNA where if, if, if you were to able to pinpoint some patterns maybe there'd be a way to better uh, maybe predict or diagnose or is it really looking more towards the prediction and diagnosis side or is it also applying what what ways to apply therapies to help once there is a diagnosis or is it all the above?
2: Yeah it's all the above so really we're looking to see if just that certain gene variants can predict whether or not an individual may ab- Uh, develop autism in the future, which would be really exciting for both researchers and clinicians alike, because today we diagnose autism strictly on behaviors. We have to wait for a child to be old enough to be able to do those behaviors in order to diagnose them appropriately. And um, this would allow us to, to start looking into whether or not this child is more likely or more predisposed to this condition. before before that time point, which is exciting. um, Because I'm sure as you can appreciate, the sooner that individuals on the spectrum receive services, the better outcomes that they have. But yes, on the other end of that, um, we have a process called Research Match, where qualified researchers throughout the United States can apply to work with with a program and they can ask specific questions um, that may or may not be related to the biology of autism. So for example, one site, um, recruited some Spark participants to come to their university, and they worked on trying to develop a better um, treatment plan for developing better social skills for kiddos on the spectrum. And it doesn't have to be necessarily anything as complex as that either. So for, for example, um, we at the University of Iowa just did a research match on um, sleeping patterns, eating behaviors, and gastrointestinal health. So we sent out Uh, questionnaire to participating families and they just post a little bit about the norms for their their children in that regard so
3: lots of things to learn about how we can use this information to better move towards like a precision medicine approach to autism so I'm sure you can fully appreciate the the vast of the spectrum and um, we're hoping that the key to some of the complexities um, within autism might lie spectrum itself and so
0: one of the things I, I remember reading about what what this was doing is there were some really interesting statistics I'm kind of a math guy by trade about uh, the correlation between like if you have one person in your family that is diagnosed with autism, some statistics that the chances of another sibling or a twin, because um, I always, you know, our, our twins are both diagnosed and they're fraternal. So it's kind of some interesting data to look at. I don't know if, if you could share some of that information.
3: Yeah, basically it is exactly as you said. So yeah, the odds of having autism if your identical twin has autism are really, really high fraternal twins are about the same odds as just any sibling pair, but those odds are much higher than say, you know, my cousin has autism and how likely am I? Basically, it kind of goes down the line. So as as the relationships between someone who has autism and yourself, if you're referencing yourself, um, as those relationships get a little bit more distant, you're a little bit less likely, um, genetically, to have an autism diagnosis yourself. But all of those genetic factors and likelihoods are, they make up a lot of what we know about who's most likely to have autism, um, just because the environmental factors that research has proposed, basically, all of those um, really pale in comparison. And so, Uh, Yeah. So basically a lot of what we know right now is leading towards a genetic basis of autism with some environmental factors thrown in there for good measure. But um, the genetics are key. And what we don't know is which genes are actually playing a role there. So we just Mm -hmm. have a lot of those basic family history statistics like, oh, I'm more likely because so-and-so in my family has a diagnosis. But what those actual ties are is very much less known. Sure. That's exactly why we're here today. Yep.
0: <laughs> so really the focus is on not necessarily all the causes that might be contributing to autism, but from a genetic standpoint, what are some of the genes that might play a role in, in, in that?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And how those specific genes might give rise to different uh, presentations of autism as well.
0: Okay. So thinking down five, 10 years from now, if you're doing your research and let's say you come up with, you know, a certain number of genes that you show, you know, tend to show these tendencies, Mm -hmm. how would you apply that to, to families as they're, you know, having their children and um, what would, what would that look like once, like if, you know, someone has a, has a child, how does, how would this research apply to that moving forward?
2: That is an absolutely fantastic question, and by far the best answer we can give you is that if we are able to um, establish that certain roles do uh, a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, and tend to uh, present an in, in autism diagnosis, um, this information would be developed and conveyed to genetic counselors, and from there, um, those would be the, the key point person for families to speak with in terms of what it means for their for their respective family. Okay.
3: Yeah, in other words, it's really difficult to say. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just thinking in the very futuristic sense of having a screener for autism, like present from birth is a little bit unrealistic, I guess, just because it, it goes back to the complexity that exists. So even if we know that these 200 genes might play a role in autism development. It, it's kind of an orchestration of those genes. So whether you have this certain pattern is really predictive of autism rather than having this one specific gene change. So it would be very, very difficult to predict with certainty. But I think the goal is to give increased awareness of the likelihood of developing autism. And so parents can be aware of that and maybe start to focus in on some resources that might be helpful in the in the developmental years okay
0: yep yeah i can see how it would be until you really maybe until you really know what the outcome is of your research it might be difficult to know how it will be applied in the future
3: yeah absolutely
0: and i can also see the complexity of you know a kind it might not be like you said one gene it could be a, a complex combination of things that in in the swarm or this thing that comes together and then if there's some kind of factor that then sets it off then, then there's there's that all that involvement too so
2: absolutely absolutely <laughs> that's something that we struggle with um, as researchers studying this condition and like i said at the end of the day i think what we aim to do is better arm uh, clinicians and genetic counselors so that they can more readily have better conversations with families.
1: Sure. So in terms of like challenges, what are some of the challenges that you guys as a team have faced with having to work with people on the spectrum and during the research phase of this whole project?
3: It's a really great question. And I know we're going to sound like a broken record here, but it comes down to the complexity of autism. It's really pretty amazing. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to grasp in uh, no matter what field you're in. So clinicians have a hard time because they have to look for um, like a crazy diversity of presentations of autism. Um, it's just as interesting and difficult for us as researchers um, just because uh, it's hard to hard to say what brings people together and what all the commonalities are across the spectrum just because going back to something a little bit earlier in our conversation the the label of autism gets applied kind of out of convenience it's so people can get access to those resources it's so people have some sort of way of identifying the difference in themselves that they see as opposed to typically developing people. But it's a little more than that. It's not saying, oh, you have autism, you must be like X, Y, and Z. So trying to figure out what brings the whole spectrum together is, is a difficulty.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I would say as quickly as we as scientists on a global scale are working to better understand autism, um, it is exceptionally demanding and time consuming to really not only break down so many potential contributing factors, um, both biological and environmental for that matter, but really to fully understand the relationships between them too so at the very yeah. least we have some job security so
0: yeah well this this whole thing is really interesting to me because you know if you down the road if you knew more about like, okay, Noah has, was diagnosed when he was 22 months old. If we could have said, got this DNA test, and they said, okay, based on this, your best chance of, of, of some therapy could be doing this. It's not guaranteed, but instead of maybe trying this over here, we've seen with these genes and this genetics, this stuff might work. I mean, that could be helpful for parents and, and teachers, there's so many different types of things that we tried with our kids many of them worked many of them didn't work mm-hmm. and we almost treated all those as experiments ourselves mm-hmm. always trying just one new thing at a time so we knew if something worked or didn't work or stayed neutral
2: mm-hmm.
0: so if if there was something to at least help the families or the teachers get them on a path a little bit faster based mm-hmm. off the data that could be a positive outcome of your research.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Natalie mentioned a term called precision medicine before. I'm not sure if that's a term that you're familiar with, but essentially it's this idea where you look at the individual medically speaking, and that does include a genetic analysis. Um, And then you also take into consideration their environmental factors, um, such as how how they live daily life. And from that, you tailor a medical plan that is unique to that person. We see it now in hospitals with cancer and that's really what we're looking to do with with neurodevelopmental conditions like autism.
1: Um, let's see, how has your guys' experience with autism, how has that changed you as a person?
2: That is an incredible question. Um, I would say for throughout my childhood um, not knowing that my sister was on the spectrum created a lot of issues for us, um, a lot of challenges. And from that, I think it really brought us closer together. And with her diagnosis, we kind of, as I mentioned previously, we immersed ourselves in the autism community. So I am actually really grateful to her and and all of our friends at home. I think that they've really, they've put me through hell, honestly, but they've made me a much better person mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, and coming from a totally outsider perspective to start with like i I really didn 't know very much about autism at all before starting this position, but one of the greatest parts about this job has been able is being able to talk with people on the spectrum of all ages and their amazing families across Iowa and into Nebraska as well It's just mind boggling to me it 's been an incredibly eye opening experience that There are just so many different ways and um, brilliant amazing ways that autism can present itself in in a person and just hearing the stories from families about how few resources are still available to them it seems now that i'm in this world that everyone should know more about it and um, should be instantly aware like hey these resources need to be made available to families they are really, really struggling. And um, that's honestly kind of impacted where I want to go in my future career as well. I'm interested in engaging communities and policymakers with mental health research. So figuring out how to bring um, the science and what the data shows us about any sort of mental health or neurodevelopmental condition and say this is what we need to be doing to support these people on local community and um, national or national policy levels Um, so that's how autism has helped me quite a lot
0: (laughs) that's cool so taylor would you say that would you be in this position now if it weren't for your sister
2: absolutely not I mentioned in my bio really briefly that I thought I wanted to be in wildlife rehab. I was going to promote biodiversity. I was going to preserve, um, I was going to preserve forests. I was going to help and heal animals and return them to their native habitats. And that Mm -hmm. was, I was so determined that that's what I wanted to do. But yeah, with her diagnosis and like Natalie mentioned, really engaging with the autism community, I Fully appreciate these deficits as well, and I really want to make some positive change for not only my sister but for all individuals on the spectrum as well.
0: Well, instead of working with wildlife, you're on autism in the wild. So there's
2: exactly there okay. it all comes back around. And I would say, living
0: <laughs> with autism is a wildlife. So mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that is yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, so the last thing we usually like to do on our podcast is ask for advice to to be given to others. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts before we get to that point?
3: I think we've covered most of the things we had jotted down. So
1: usually we ask like, what advice would you give people, would you give people with autism or your parents or whatever. But I feel like this question in particular would hit home. Um, what advice would you specifically give like to other researchers or professionals that are studying? Autism, or your fellow coworkers who are helping you guys out with this spark, with this spark experience.
2: Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful question. I think as researchers, we have a really, we have a dual perspective on autism, where first and foremost, you know, we're the friends and family members of individuals on the spectrum, and in that respect, we re- we relate to them very personally. We relate to autism very personally. We interact with our loved ones every day. But we also view autism as the objective data on our computer screens, right? Uh, we'll, we see those A's, uh, T's, C's, G's that makes up a person's genome. And that's really what we, we as researchers in our lab focus on. And with that, with that objectivity, at times, um, I think we can, we can perceive ourselves, at least to others who may not have a scientific background as being cold or being harsh or being disconnected. Um, so that's something that we're really actively trying to change. We're trying to make ourselves readily um, very accessible to, to families throughout Iowa. And I would offer that same advice to other researchers as well to really um, make yourself accessible, make yourself personable, make uh, yourself,
3: yeah, just available Human. to, yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. Natalie, do you have any other thoughts on that?
3: That really speaks to our kind of the advice we would give other researchers uh, but to toss it back to advice we would give members of the community as well really kind of getting involved and staying involved recognizing that there are different levels of um, information out there so I can only imagine the wealth of information that for instance a parent of a newly diagnosed child with autism uh, would see on the internet and um, just knowing that some of those resources are gonna be better sources of information than others is a really key point. Um, And so there are some great resources available like through Spark and through something called Spectrum News that really give nice uh, synopses of the actual research that's going on in the autism world right now and where some of the misinformation might lie Um, and so.
2: Fair. I would say taking that one step further, we would recommend that people who identify with the autism community become citizen scientists themselves. Our ability as researchers to produce the high-quality findings that are needed um, to make positive change happen is directly dependent upon the willingness of the autism community to engage in research themselves. So, like Natalie mentioned, we'd like to invite all families who live with autism to participate in SPARC. And then we'd also like to shout out to one of our partnering partnering organizations, uh, the Autism Society of Iowa, um, who not only work really hard to connect with families with needed resources throughout the state, but they do this in part by sharing current research opportunities for Iowan families on both their website and in their monthly e-newsletters, too.
0: Cool. So you, you work with families in Iowa and Nebraska? Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Yes, yep.
0: So if someone's listening to this and, and they're not in Iowa or Nebraska, can they still involved in the SPARK program?
2: Absolutely. Um, Like we mentioned, we are a nationwide study. There's 25 sites and we are growing. Um, They can Google it, sparkforautism.org, and they can find a site closest to them. I would recommend doing so if that is the case, um, because the ability to affiliate with a site means that you'll have individuals like Natalie and myself who can help you during the registration process and offer support to complete that participation as needed to.
0: Great, yeah. We'll put we'll put these links on our website and in the show notes so people have easy access to them too. But awesome. yeah, that that's good to know. If if someone's out in the West Coast or East Coast, they can still be involved.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, going back to your point about being citizen, um, what did you call it? Citizen scientist.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, uh, we 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 were fortunate early on to to work with a a medical doctor. And he did a lot of lab work, and one of them was he, We actually did do some DNA testing with our kids, and it's been a long time since I've looked at those. But it was we used those to um, help de- to determine what kind of therapy from a medical treatment plan we would do. So we learned we learned some different things about, you know, they weren't able to detoxify themselves very easily through the DNA testing. And something, just some things like that, and I think that was really helpful with working with the doctor, someone that knew what to do with that data. And I think that's always the challenge: is you can get this data, but a lot of times, me as a parent, I'm not going to know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's we have to find people that know what to do with this information once we have it. So I think that the research is a great start. And then taking it the next step further. Now we have this. What do we do with it? So I'm excited to to find out how we do that. (laughs) Yeah,
3: that's fair. Definitely fair.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else you guys would like to share today?
3: I don't know. We're just very thankful for the chance to be on your show. We've loved listening to different episodes, so I'm excited to to share maybe a different perspective.
0: Yeah, this is one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is when people like yourselves reach out to us and not only say, Hey, we listen, but we also want to be on your show because we are looking for, we are looking for people to all kinds of perspectives about autism because it is is so diverse, Mm -hmm. but also just goes to show like, you know, what Noah and I are doing is reaching people and, Mm -hmm. and hitting home. So that keeps us fueled and motivated to keep doing, doing more. So I really appreciate you guys reaching out to us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we were, like Natalie said, so excited to hear that you wanted us to to be on an episode, (laughs) too. Yeah, very
0: good. All right. Anything else, Noah? No, I think we've covered everything. Okay. Well, thanks for being on our show.
3: Thank Thank you guys. guys. All right.
1: Thanks for listening.